With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Zach Taylor with the Cincinnati Bengals, and you're listening to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. Yay, Zach Taylor. And I like the Bengals' chances today against the Titans, and the countdown is on to get into the mitten. Underdog second round and beyond playoff tournament. It's almost filled. Get in. Underdogfantasy.com. Promo code UNDERWORLD. Bring us in! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, of course, is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. For the people listening at home, Matt, it's been a while since you and I podcasted together. You okay? You, you sound a little, little, uh, all right. What are, you, what are you setting up right now? You feeling 100% energetic? Your vitality is at a 10 here, or are you, 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 you running low on energy? I was feeling 100% before this question. Now I'm about 86.5. I don't know what I'm being set up for. Did you happen to see my CD Lamb takedown video on YouTube? I, I caught parts of it. I saw that you did a CD Lamb takedown. You did it in live stream format. Is that correct? No. Actually, I recorded it and then I premiered it on YouTube so I could be in the chat. Nice. The chat wasn't as active, but also... The video was edited in such a way that it was rat-a-tat-tat, so there wasn't a lot of time for people to, to think about questions or comments or takes. It was just a torrent of interesting information about CeeDee Lamb and why he is overrated. I... Wow. These these punchy words in there like overrated. Well, Matt, I don't know if you caught it, but I recently posted the opposite video on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Nate List, a great CD Lamb, pro CD Lamb video as all fans of Dynasty should be. Matt, now I haven't heard your takes. I don't know that you've necessarily heard my takes, but I would be interested in hearing why you believe CD Lamb is not a top five Dynasty wide receiver. I love CeeDee Lamb. I love CeeDee Lamb. I just wish that I wish that he had more targets the last two years than Darnell Mooney. That would be nice. That would be nice, Nate. Darnell Mooney had no target competition at all. And you could argue, based on usage and production, CeeDee Lamb, on any given week, when Gallup was healthy... Got dominated by Dalton Schultz? Had... Dalton Schultz was great. Dalton Schultz was a... Okay, so he got... He got vacuumed up by Dalton Schultz. Got targeted a lot. Well, listen, uh, the question for you then would be, 
If CeeDee Lamb is not in the top five, I'm assuming he's very, very close, but you would question who else is in the top five because that truly exposes the problem with ranking him outside of it. Now, number one, there is no debate. I don't have your rankings, but Jefferson and Chase are one and two. I don't care how you flip-flop them. Tier by themselves. Right, undoubtedly. Okay, from that point on, this is where the debate for me begins. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't because there's, there, there's two Mississippi wide receivers that are in another tier by themselves. So there's two wide receivers in tier one and there's two wide receivers in tier two. And then we can start a conversation. Let's let's no, let's start the conversation with one of the two. Let's start with A.J. Brown, because I would love to start it with A.J. Brown. Number one, if we're talking age, we know that CD's younger. So we'll start right there. Age matters in Dynasty. No, it doesn't matter, though, because they're both pre apex. Absolutely. Love it. Don't even count it. Don't even need to count it. Okay, here's part of the issue. Number one, A.J. Brown, low target volume. His team is one of the lowest passing volume teams in the league. So we're waiting on a guy who's in a low volume offense to break out. But if we go back and look at him, what, has he not had more than 106 targets at any point in his career thus far? Right? With no target competition, he's had no target competition at any point in his career. Julio Jones didn't do anything. Uh, Corey Davis clearly was never a threat to him. So 106 is the most he's ever seen in his career. Number two, CeeDee Lamb was better after the catch this year. CeeDee Lamb was a better separator this year. Tennessee is number 26 in pass attempts. Dallas is number six. At the end of the season, Schultz could walk. Gallup could be gone. Amari Cooper may be a trade candidate. All these things are favorable. And if we look at A.J. Brown versus CeeDee Lamb by the career numbers, CeeDee Lamb is averaging basically a half a catch more per game, four yards less per game, and essentially the same touchdown rate. So by the numbers, CeeDee Lamb is as productive has been better by the advanced metrics and isn't a much higher passing volume offense. You could make that case if we were talking about seasonal leagues, sure. You definitely want wide receivers on higher volume offenses. You want Mike Evans, not Allen Robinson, because Mike Evans is tethered to Tom Brady. Not forever, but you knew in 2021 that Mike Evans would have an opportunity to put up well over 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns just by being in that offense, regardless of his air yard share and his target share, didn't matter. Target competition didn't matter. Too many miles to feed, it's a cliche for a reason. It's stupid, okay? You want pieces of that Tampa Bay offense. You want pieces of this Dallas offense before you would want pieces of the Tennessee passing game. I understand that. But we focus more on efficiency metrics, especially the efficiency metrics that predict performance in the long run at wide receiver, and A.J. Brown had a top 10 target share and a top three air yard share. Well, hold on. Wait a minute. Are you seriously citing target share on a team that was number 29 in the league in pass attempts? Of course his target share is high. And it was a slow-paced team as well. Okay, but listen. But these things are transient. Year to year, they can change. Now, I agree. they won't change in a big way. Like, the, the shifts from one year to the next aren't huge. In the longer run, you want the guys that are just the best football players and the best playmakers at their position, and most specifically, those that command targets and command targets down the field. And as a share of their offense, the targets that A.J. Brown was commanding and the total air yards he was commanding in that offense were dominant. We've never seen CeeDee Lamb dominate the share of anything in that Dallas offense. 
I again, okay. I, I target share is so irrelevant to me in this conversation because again, he had no target competition in a low target offense. So of course his target share is going to look high. It's artificially high. I don't think it matters. It no, it, it didn't matter. It does matter whether Julio Jones was on the field or not. It absolutely would have mattered. His target share was unaffected by even Julio Jones. It absolutely would have mattered because there's plenty of games mixed in here. I'm looking at AJ Brown right now. Three targets, five targets, four targets, five targets, four targets, two targets, five targets. Listen, it absolutely matters in a low passing volume offense. He averaged more targets per game than CeeDee Lamb in a much lower volume offense. Think about that for a second. Uh, okay, but when you say he averaged more targets, you're saying a half a target per game. Let's not make this sound like it's four targets a game. It's a half a target a game. It's a half of a target a game. Right. Right. Okay, right. But so I'm not, here's the thing. It sounds great when you say it like, oh, he averages more targets. And then you go, well, how many? And you go, well, half a target. And you go, oh, well, his target share is greater. And you go, well, how much passing does that offense do? Oh, not very much. Well, how much competition did he have? Not very much. And again, CeeDee Lamb was a better separator, was better after the catch, which absolutely matters. The team throws more. All this matters. Tennessee has never shown us for even a moment that they're going to be a pass-friendly offense. And that could certainly hurt A.J. Brown in the long run. I love him. I think he's great. I think he should certainly be in the top five. But this dichotomy is the reason that CeeDee Lamb also should be. A.J. Brown is special. A.J. Brown has that special quality. And you saw it in his rookie year. 20 plus yards per reception. And this is why we have Debo Samuel ranked ahead of CeeDee Lamb in Dynasty. All right. But I'm not talking. I don't. Why are we talking? Really? Three years older. Let's go back to AJ Brown. Don't rotate yet. Debo Samuel still has three years of his prime left, and he is a special player at the NFL level. We have not seen a single unicorn trait emerge from C.D. Lamb. His best quality is his yards after the catch, and he ranked number 15 in the league. Listen, first off, 15 in the league, top 15. I like how that was used as a slight. That was his best trait? That was used? Are you seriously using a top well, actually, 15? Actually, I, I, you know, I take it back. I take it back. Good grief. He did rank top 10 in one metric. Drops. Great. Listen, the fact that we're, we're saying that his yards after the catch in the top 15, is that really a slight? I mean, seriously, stay, stay in, stay in this with me for a minute. Honestly, stay, stay in here. Don't, don't back away from punches for a minute. Look, yards after the catch in the top 15, the fact that that is even being laughed at is ridiculous because his yards after the catch are a full yard per target higher than AJ Brown, which I already noted. Well, just last year though. Okay. So what just last year we're talking about during his career, the beauty of AJ Brown is he has three consecutive years where he was putting up impressive efficiency metrics and also giving you the counting stats and the fantasy points. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you, right? Okay, finished as what? The wide receiver 26 in fantasy points per game. The wide receiver 30 is first year. He's got one top 10 season so far. And we're acting like there's some definitive difference. Also, by the way, unicorn, there's no metric that defines unicorn special. Go, where is it in his 2021 profile? Which one is it? Is it yards per route run where he was just five spots higher than CeeDee Lamb? Debo Samuel? No, not Debo. We're talking about A.J. Brown. That's where you started with that point. Not Debo. You started with A.J. Brown. If you had to say, oh, player X is the next Debo Samuel in terms of yards after the catch, it would be A.J. Brown. I, I, that's nonsensical. Where Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? I'm. We're looking at the same page. Where's the evidence of that statement? 
2.4 yards per target. His yards after the catch per target was 4.0 the year prior. Okay. I, I don't know what to tell you. That's that's fine, but where's the... It was 5.3 the year before that. His targets don't exist. He gets he gets eight a game. He's on a low-volume passing offense. I'm asking you, what's, what's special? That's a yard more than CeeDee Lamb. If we were debating projections, right, for 2022, then the total volume of the offense becomes much more important because it's much easier to project pace of play and total pass attempts for the following season. When you start to build out projections two, three, four, five years, you don't know what the pass volume is going to look like in 2024, what the pace of play is going to look like in 2024. That's why efficiency matters more in Dynasty. It's counterintuitive. But the opportunity metrics are more of a signal for seasonal leagues. The efficiency, especially target share and air yard share, are a greater signal for dynasty leagues. And actually, I wrote all about it in this book, The Dynasty Dominator, available on Amazon. So let's go back to this because I have I have a, another problem here. So you're citing A.J. Brown's four yards after the catch per target, which is 0.6 higher than C.D. Lamb. So to me, this is like, this is a negligible difference. He's not Devonta Smith averaging 1.8. He's not a zero after the catch. So the fact that you're picking one season. Oh, nice Devonta Smith yeah. shot there across the bow. Like it. I like it. You're cherry picking one season in the middle of his career where his number was a little higher. And again, 0.6 higher than CeeDee Lamb. And you're citing that as his unicorn metric. CeeDee Lamb's a better separator. CeeDee Lamb was better after the catch. CeeDee Lamb's yards per route run are basically neck and neck. I don't see where we're calling A.J. Brown a unicorn and CeeDee Lamb isn't very close. It's, it's weird to me because the problem for me is... The problem for me is that not, it's not necessarily that he's not in the top five. It's that we're acting like there's some tear break between these two guys. There is. When CeeDee Lamb is based on what metrics? I'm telling you, point out a metric that he's definitively better in and I will concede my case. Find one metric. Air yard share. Okay, let's go. Okay, let's cite the air yard share. Let's go through them. Pull them up. Okay. What do you want? Okay, you want to go completed air yards? No, air yard share... Goes up every year. His air yard share goes up because, you know, he wasn't a complete full-time player. His snap share was only 72% as a rookie. Air yard share was 29%. Then it goes up to 34. And then it goes up again to 40. Okay, so CeeDee Lamb this year, air yards, 1,126. A.J. Brown, 1,150. A difference of two games there. The total numbers matter more for seasonal leagues. The share numbers matter more for dynasty. It's but it's because we're trying to find players that are going to be alphas in their respective offenses and command targets down the field. And it's a bonus if they deliver the yards after the catch. The yards after the catch numbers are much less sticky than the air yards numbers. They are much more prone to randomness. The reason why I cited Debo Samuel as having a high unicorn factor was that his yards after the catch just happens to be sticky, where most wide receivers, it varies greatly from season to season, and he's getting all these carries and running for all these yards and getting all these rushing touchdowns, which makes him super special. Nothing that CeeDee Lamb has done thus far other than catching a ball one-handed in the back of the end zone in training camp, could be viewed as special.
Uh, first off, again, uh, you keep going to this word special, and I appreciate it. As a listener of the show that I'm on, I think it's I think it's a fantastic tactic that has literally no merit. It, it's based on nothing. You cite one metric, which is air yards, and I'll give you that. Again, air yard share, a guy in an offense who's the only weapon he's going to have the air yard share. Of course, CeeDee Lamb has a lot of weapons. Okay, I have a question for you. I'll take a bet. I would wager this bet. Next year, if Dalton Schultz isn't there, if Michael Gallup is gone. You just told on yourself. No. You just told on yourself. Do you understand that? I do. You just told on yourself. You're citing target competition of Dalton Schultz. Michael Gallup played a couple games. They both had targets. And Amari Cooper was laid low with COVID for a month. Lamb led the team in targets. The bar for targets in this Dallas offense was not nearly as high as you contend. It's it's not a fact. Listen, you keep you. It's easy to have a high. This is the problem. I hope people listening to this show see the fucking fallacy and the mistake in what you're saying, Dalton Schultz. Because you're you're using the word special and you're saying unicorn and all this stuff and you're talking about target share. And I'm pointing out an excellent point. It's a low-volume passing offense that doesn't throw the ball very much. So anytime they target their number one guy, who's the only option in the offense, the numbers are going to be artificially inflated. But he wasn't great after the catch. He wasn't a better target separator. He's never seen more than 106 targets. I don't know what to tell you. You're you're citing inflated stats. Now, if he played on a team with another elite player next to him, if he played on, if he played on the Kansas City Chiefs where they throw for 5,000 yards a season, I would be more impressed by him having a 40% air yard share. But again, it's a low-volume offense, which makes these numbers artificially higher when you're the only option. When Jonathan Taylor went to the Colts and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went to the Chiefs, the case for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was based on the situation and the offense. And my position that I argued for hours on this show was that dynasty leaguers sometimes fall into a trap of overvaluing the situation that players find themselves in instead of looking at the overarching profile on a player and these signals that we have identified as being the most predictive that a player is just awesome and i said i don't care about how many touchdowns the Colts scored or who their offensive coordinator is. I know Jonathan Taylor is simply an elite talent. I'm much more confident based on his last three years in the NFL that A.J. Brown is an elite talent than I am CeeDee Lamb at this point. I feel like you're anchored to his college profile. I, I, again, I don't know what to say. I don't know why we're saying college profile. He's got two 1,000 plus yard seasons thus far in the league at age 22. And I'm not. And the difference is I appreciate the Clyde Edwards, Jonathan Taylor take, but it's not the same trap because that was running back usage in an offense that never manifested. This is CeeDee Lamb playing in an offense that throws the ball a ton. It's very different. And again, you go back and listen to these quotes about Now, even Troy Aikman's talking about it. They're not targeting their best player, which is what Joe Burrow did with Jamar Chase, which, again, you can't even bring Jamar Chase into any conversation because he's in another stratosphere. But 
you can make all the words you want and you can make word salad with it. But the fact of the matter is by the numbers, these guys are a lot closer. Now, the question that you haven't asked me is who I prefer between these two players. And I would have told you AJ Brown, but that still doesn't get us to the top five yet. And I know you keep trying to shoehorn Debo Samuel into the conversation, but I won't even talk it. I won't even talk Debo Samuel. He just turned 26. He's 26. He's three and a quarter years older. The age apex is 26.5 for wide receivers. He's pre-apex. Listen, well, that's he's pre-apex. Listen, the guy's often injured all the way back to college, right? Dude, you want Debo. Come on. Okay, let's move on from Debo. Well, you want Debo. Come on. You want Debo. And, and you want DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf is also commanding the air yards, and he has a quarterback who might actually be unlocked at some point in our lifetimes. But doubtful. Doubtful. I want to recast the debate and make sure we're clear. I'm saying CeeDee Lamb is closer to the T. Higgins, Deontay Johnson tier than he is the Metcalf, A.J. Brown tier. That's where we disagree. Yeah, I, I think that DK Metcalf, I, I think the DK Metcalf is not closer to A.J. Brown, to be quite honest with you. I don't. You're out on Metcalf? No, I'm not out on Metcalf, but again, I think we're starting to see Metcalf's potential ceiling in this offense short of an injury. He's at least had competition around him. He, you can at least make the argument that DK has had to work around Tyler Lockett, who has this crazy long-term chemistry with Russell Wilson. It's a different story with A.J. Brown. DK Metcalf has that ceiling season already where he had 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns. CeeDee Lamb hasn't sniffed that yet. Listen, again, he's had three years in the league. Well, now we're ignoring the fact that he then comes off of that and has 75 catches for 967 yards and finishes as the wide receiver 22. And is the number one wide receiver in the NFL in unrealized air yards. It was an incredibly unlucky season. You know what he's number 22 in? Unrealized fantasy points. That's great that there's all these unreal. I love that we do this. We're like, yeah, fuck, the ball didn't connect. God damn it. I get it. The reason I'm so confident he was unlucky is because his quarterback was Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is accurate down the field. So is Dak. If his quarterback was Justin Fields or Andy Dalton, it wouldn't be unlucky. It would just be wrong place, wrong time, buddy. I mean, it's so is Dak. I don't know what to say. It's fine. Listen. We will we'll agree to disagree. The best part about this is, the best part about this is, because it's great show fodder, the distance between some of these guys is so close, I couldn't slide a piece of paper between them. I know. Well, the beauty is that you have him at five, we have him at six, and we're debating yeah. this. This is what happens. Like, <laughs> this is what happens. I hope people got what they wanted. I'm... Our lives are at stake. Yeah. I like Metcalf. I, love I it. think I think AJ Brown. I love it. Dude, you're going to get hate messages on social media, trolls coming after you. If A.J. Brown has a big season in 2022, oh my God, it's going to be unfair. Hold on. Don't do it, people. I'm coming at you in advance, trolls. Don't give him a hard time when A.J. Brown's awesome next year. I bring up A.J. Brown as reference to say I think he's better than CeeDee Lamb. I would rather own him in Dynasty, but the difference in the production is much, much closer than people are talking about. And I lay all this out on YouTube. Let's go to the next one. My case for trading CeeDee Lamb is not necessarily that we have him outside the top 10. We don't. I just laid it out. Number six. But I saw a trade go down recently on my fantasy league. We have a tool on playerprofiler.com called the Trade Finder. We can just type in a player's name and you can see all the trades on my fantasy league involving that player. 
I type in CeeDee Lamb, the most recent trade was CeeDee Lamb plus James Robinson for Brandon Ayuk and Saquon Barkley. So if you can get Brandon Ayuk and Saquon Barkley for CeeDee Lamb and a backup running back rehabbing a torn ACL, it's probably a good idea to put CeeDee Lamb on the block. Who made that trade? Yeah, of course. That I would absolutely take the Ayuk Barkley side. I mean, without question. Without question. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm just explaining to you that there are sick, twisted CeeDee Lamb stands in Dynasty Leagues, and there's a good chance there's one in every league because the Dallas Cowboys were one of the most popular franchises, and CeeDee Lamb was one of the most popular wide receiver prospects of the last decade. You combine those two forces, if you have CeeDee Lamb, it's simply in your best interest to try to see what you can get for him. It's just an off-season exercise that we recommend doing. That's it. That's it. I, I, have a, I have a question. This is just an interesting question. And it probably wouldn't change your perspective, but it'll change the perspective of the listeners. CeeDee Lamb played 16 games. If you had just taken his average per game and tacked it on, if he had played 17 games, he would have been the wide receiver 12 this year. And I think people would have a different opinion, though his fantasy points per game would look a little different, or his, his fantasy points per game would be in the top 12. It's just, I think that people forget too that some of these guys played 17, some played less. Obviously, A.J. Brown played less than that. And so the overall numbers don't matter as much to me as the per-game production. But I think next year, CeeDee Lamb is going to have the breakout season that we want. I truly believe that. If CeeDee Lamb were on the Colts or CeeDee Lamb were on even Arizona, he wouldn't be as popular as he is. But because he's a cowboy, he has that star on the helmet, Hard knocks. Don't do this again. It inflates his value. It, it's Don't the do reason this. why it's in your best interest to put him on the block. No player in history at age 22 put up an 1,100-yard season and was as dismissed as CeeDee Lamb. It's shocking. It is he's shocking. He's not being dismissed at all. He is. You literally just said he's popular because star on his helmet. You are privy to some of the greatest minds in Dynasty that are as forward-thinking as have ever existed in this space. And because that's your first touch point, you think that this is the community, that this is the world. I'm telling you, most people are either with you or are even more bullish on CeeDee Lamb than you are. They're probably more bullish on CeeDee Lamb than I am because I don't think I'm that bullish. Again, you got your top two. And then you have a few other guys in there. And I'm not saying that CD should be above DK necessarily or he needs to be above AJ Brown. But again, I, I like Debo. You mentioned the AJ Pex. We mentioned the injuries. But if it's not Debo, in your case, you've put him there. CD Lamb should be slotted in at number five. Because unless you're going to make the argument for T. Higgins to put him and Jamar Chase both in the top yeah. five, exactly. Yeah. Or Deontay Johnson. We don't know his situation. Yeah, I like Deontay, dude. Listen, so I'm saying you have to shoehorn a guy that's three years older that's been injured his whole career since college to keep CD out of the top five. Now, if CD doesn't play well next year, he's he's obviously out of it. You're going to have younger guys. Traylon Burks comes in, some other names. The point is, I, I like CD, and I think next year is going to be the year we really see a breakout. You saw in that trade, not only did the CD Lamb trader get Saquon Barkley, but also Brandon Ayuk in return. I like Brandon Ayuk. I think Brandon Ayuk really persevered this season in a way that is telling for his future. 
And when you watched him play, all you saw were flash and wow. It was flash and wow. It was spin move. It was hurdling a guy. It was toe tapping. It was, you know, breaking tackles. It was accelerating past defenders in a way that is special. His ability, like Jamar Chase, to not decelerate when he's catching the ball. There are so few wide receivers that do not decelerate at all at the catch point. He is one of those rare wide receivers that does not do that. And when you see it, you understand it. You have to see it to understand it. And you see it and you're like, oh, that's why no one can get an angle on this guy after the catch. It's fascinating to watch him play. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have Devontae Smith, which doesn't do anything after the catch. And yet, Devontae Smith, because he was the number one wide receiver, he had a much higher target share, a significantly higher air yard share, and he has the draft capital, and he has a Heisman. So it's an interesting dichotomy to compare Brandon Ayuk, who I believe has more wow factor, and Devontae Smith, who does have some impressive peripheral metrics and has what you want, which is that number one wide receiver job where you know he's going to get the big-time target share. I mean, of these two, for me, uh, I, I clearly prefer Ayuk. Uh, for me, it's it's pretty easily Ayuk because he picked up where he left off in 2020. And in fact, after being doghoused after week seven this year, he was even more explosive than his rookie season. I mean, we saw the metrics rise in yards per route run, uh, yards per target rose by two full yards, fantasy points per target climbed. And the most telling one, you mentioned his ability after the catch. This year, he was actually better after the catch per target than Jamar Chase, which is shocking because Jamar Chase is just God mode. When the ball's in his hands. Wait, can we just explain something to people just for a second? We didn't talk about this pre-show. This seems like we coordinated a presentation to the audience about why Brandon Ayuk is undervalued and you should go get him in Dynasty. We have not talked about this. And yet we're both comparing him to Jamar Chase. This is amazing. He is absolutely special. And again, this kind of takes us back a little to the CD thing. As much as I love Debo and he finally flashed the breakout finder dynamic score all over everybody in 2021, he has been often injured and we saw him used as a runner a lot and we saw Ayuk's target share rise quite a bit uh, throughout the season once he finally got out of that doghouse. Now, my biggest gripe with Devonta Smith is that personally he's just not my archetype of fantasy receiver. I'm assuming he's not really yours, but he's not mine. And the problem is that, one, he's an absolute zero after the catch, as has been mentioned on this show. And number two, he's mostly big play reliant for two reasons. One, he wasn't targeted as a possession receiver often enough for me. He had just five games of more than eight targets in 17 outings. And number two, his average target distance of number five and his deep targets number nine force him to be a pure home run threat. And I just don't want to gamble on that week to week. I understand he gives you upside in best ball, but Ayuk is just such a guarantee with the ball in his hands after the catch. We agree. I think this is what always happens. We lead with the clashing debate where you have a guy at five and I have him at six and we fight to the death. And and then it's just a it's just a big birthday party. Right? Like we just get out the noisemakers. We love the same players. That was a mild that was a mild debate. That was good. Twenty twenty two starting off right. Let's talk Bears receivers. Oh boy, let's do it. Because it's interesting. It's fascinating to see Darnell Mooney, who I mentioned earlier, 
more targets his first two seasons than CeeDee Lamb, had 140 targets, but no touchdowns, and the fantasy points were muted 13 per game. So it's just, you wanted more from Darnell Mooney. It's hard to get more when you get 140 targets, but it could have been more. That's the thing. They only ran 1.95 plays per minute. So this could have been a much higher volume offense. And even when they ran plays, a lot of them were design runs. So it's just pukey. It was actually a pukey situation. And the fact that he still commanded 140 targets tells me that Darnell Mooney, with his top 12 target share and top 14 air yard share, is good at football. He is an attractive dynasty asset. But in seasonal leagues probably going to stay away until we see this offense finally ascend. There's no reason to invest in a bottom 10 offense in seasonal leagues until you see it turn the corner. But in Dynasty, it's a source of value to get a Darnell Mooney later in drafts, and he probably should go, where the fantasy points per game is trailing the air yard share and the target share That's a buying signal. That's a buying signal for Deontay Johnson. That's a buying signal for DJ Moore. That's a buying signal for Darnell Mooney. I'm slightly above consensus on Darnell Mooney, but because he's on the Bears, my guess is that you're below consensus. I mean, uh, have I become that predictable? Is that that where this show has gone? Am I so predictable that, that this is just totally obvious now? I... My concern is one, I think you mentioned it, that we probably, and again, we probably have seen his target ceiling. That's my belief. You may think that maybe there's a little more under the hood. I think that 140 is a significant amount from a team that looks like they could be a low passing volume offense that wants to commit to the run. And again, Darnell Mooney really didn't have any target competition, but he earned the targets, right? So that's that's the debate point that I've had with CeeDee Lamb. I mean, his his underlying metrics were incredibly impressive. If you go beyond that, if you scroll down on Player Profiler, he was top 10 in target separation, top 10 in average cushion, so he was commanding the respect of defenses. It's just that the accuracy rating on the passes that he was receiving was near last in the league. 6.64 ranked number 96 in the NFL. The poor guy was just watching these balls whiz over his head. But the issue is, we don't know when that's going to change. If those downfield targets were more accurate, he could have had many more big plays, and it would have made all the difference. It's possible, you know, worst case scenario, again, as we lay out what happened in Chicago, you've got 140 targets for Mooney, then Komet comes in with 93, then the next closest guy, believe it or not, is Allen Robinson at 66 targets. Worst case scenario is... Target quality gets no better, but target distribution goes other directions. And obviously that's that's the biggest concern, but that's that's a death knell. Then he's not startable. To dig in a little deeper here, one of the things when you mentioned signals with a player, Darnell Mooney was a great example of looking at signals. As you mentioned this year, his average cushion was great. Last year, his average cushion was number 14, and he was number 10 in unrealized air yards. So we saw it start to pick up, and then it trends this direction in 2021. I don't think that this goes away. Again, targets may come down, but we it's very clearly it's clear what his role is in this offense. We know what that is, and I think they want to continue to try to use him as a big play receiver. Question is, how much does he lose in the future? I'm mostly hands off of the Bears. What about Allen Robinson? What about 
He's a free agent. He could go yes. anywhere. Everyone's talking about, oh, DJ Shark could go somewhere. What about Michael Gallup? Well, Allen Robinson's out of there. Oh, I mean, we had talked about this. There are so many locations that Allen Robinson could go that would be better than where he was this year. Uh, you know, we've we've mentioned some in the past. Him as a free agent, it's very clear when you look back at his history, you know, four seasons with over 150 targets, he's very clearly an alpha. No matter what team he lands on, he will be the alpha of that offense. We just hope that they understand how to utilize him better than what the Bears have done this year. It was brutal. Worst case scenario is he goes to the Eagles. Worst case scenario is he goes back to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. The Eagles wouldn't be great. I would agree. No, he hates the Bears. I know, I, I know. He despises know. them for franchising him. He's not going back. And Eagles would be worst case scenario for the same reasons why he was having so many issues in Chicago. It's a team that pulls pass attempts out of the offense in favor of design QB runs. And it makes it impossible to become a wide receiver one when you're competing against these teams with these prolific, fast-paced quarterbacks. You, you could never catch up to them. It's impossible. You could be top five in air yard share. doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. What about these wide receivers that went AWOL? It was Michael Thomas. He said, you know what? I'm out. And then you had Calvin Ridley just sort of disappeared with a personal issue and no one knows what, what, what was happening behind the scenes. And with Will Fuller, there was an injury that he just never returned from, but that injury's rehabilitation timeline was not out for the year. So you had Michael Thomas and Will Fuller going AWOL for similar reasons, and then you had Calvin Ridley was even more mysterious. What happened, and should we take chances on these guys? I mean, they're all they're all interesting because there is, like you're saying, there is mystery to all these guys. I've been pretty bullish <clears throat> on Michael Thomas. Serious. Well, no, I mean, with what happened, Michael Thomas's elective surgery that kept him out for the year, the issues going on with him in New Orleans in the past, Will Fuller's PED issue, and then the injury and the production on the PEDs, and then suddenly, you know, he's suspended. And then you look at Calvin Ridley, and he's going through mental health issues. That's the apparent uh, issue that's going on. And I don't know when he comes back. I don't know the full story on that or where he's at and his rehab or where he is personally um of the three though i would probably be the least likely to invest in calvin ridley just because that's a that's a pretty real thing and i don't know where he's at mentally or if this comes back mid-season when he does return i really don't know he's a talented player but i don't want to bet on that and i'm not a psychologist but to me michael thomas was a guy that i've said in the past very low rate of injury proven player doesn't run a style of routes that often gets him hurt or runs a risk of injuries across the middle. He's a volume monster and he's likely going somewhere else. He's going to be 29. He's going to be 29. He's going to give you a couple good seasons. So you have two really good seasons for Michael Thomas. I like Michael Thomas a lot. I still, I would rather have Calvin Ridley because the upside and he's two years younger. So the, the upside on Calvin Ridley is huge. If, if he is just back next year at full health and he's physically and mentally ready to go, then you just got a huge discount. So for I'm, I'm always chasing the upside at wide receiver because the way that you and I structure our dynasty teams is that we typically have a couple stud running backs at the top, and then we have a plethora of value wide receivers, guys exactly like Michael Thomas, guys exactly like Calvin Ridley. And if you have a bunch of those guys, a few of them hit, you win the championship. That's all it is. Will Fuller 
is probably done. Will Fuller has the PEDs. He has this super concerning injury track record. And then to have a broken finger at the beginning of the season and then just say, you know what? Fuck it. I know you guys are starting Isaiah Ford and Albert Wilson and Mac Hollins, but I don't care. Um, you know what? Just forget it. Look at Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson wants to come back. He comes back in three weeks after a broken finger to his throwing hand. So to me, that was the one where I'm like, I think this guy has both physical and mental challenges, and he's also post-apex. I'm out. Whereas Michael Thomas has this devastating ankle injury, which is a multi-year rehabilitation through multiple surgeries, and, and sometimes that happens, right? We've seen players go in for revisions like Rashad Penny and Sony Michelle after two years come out on the other side and look great. Michael Thomas could be that and look great and be happy in this next location where he he's happy with the coach, he's happy with his health, and he looks like Michael Thomas. I could easily see that happening. I can also easily see Calvin Ridley finishing the rehabilitation in the offseason for whatever his ailment was and showing up to camp, good to go. So I think Ridley a bye, Thomas a bye, Fuller stay away. That's my assessment. I agree on that completely. I Ridley is clearly the guy you would prefer with the age difference. But again, the, if you can get him on the cheap, it's worth it. I think some people are still going to value him kind of highly. Of course, his name is in the news once again. So anytime that starts to happen... Wait, Ridley's name was in the news? Uh, people are talking about potential trade locations for Calvin Ridley. Like, his name's been in a lot of articles. Okay, but it wasn't, like, law enforcement related. No, no. Not yet. I don't think so. Okay, thank God. Dude, you, you, it wasn't a TMZ situation. It's not a TMZ situation. But uh, you would get an absolute discount on Calvin Ridley if you could find somebody that hasn't been Googling his name recently. Calvin Ridley is going in that Mike Evans, Devontae Smith, Michael Pittman, Keenan Allen zone. And I think that makes perfect sense. Where if healthy, you'd rather have Ridley. But given the discount on the uncertainty, he falls into that tier with similar players that are a couple of years older than him. Just makes sense. What about these Patriots receivers? I saw you had a post about Kendrick Bourne. You're a big Kendrick Bourne fan? Look at you. You're just, you're just trying to... Trying to spin things into headlines over here. Listen, what I wanted to point out in that tweet, if you didn't see it, is that what Kendrick Bourne did in 2021 has only been done three times in the history of the NFL since targets and receiving yards have been tracked. He had over 800 receiving yards. He had 800 on the nose and 70 targets. So there's only been three guys in history that have done that on 70 or less targets, and that's Malcolm Floyd and, of course, Tyler Lockett. But... To me, it was just impressive to see it. And I cited some of his metrics along with it. I think he had a great season. I think as we talked about pre-show, uh, pre-show, pre-show, um, he was he was an impressive addition, better than Nelson Aguilar uh, by, by a long shot. He was a great player in this offense. And whether he will continue this trend into 2022, that was my question to the people. I cited those metrics and said, could a big year be coming? No. He had more than 100 less air yards in 2021 than he had with the 49ers in 2020. That's what made it impressive. How the hell is that possible? This is the ultimate sell-high candidate at wide receiver. You just push him around the league in your dynasty league 
to see if anyone's willing to give up a second rounder. Just dangle, dangle, dangle to put that guy on the block. Dangle, dangle. His target share was outside the top 75. Yeah, man. that's why this is so impressive. It doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. Like the fact that he scored these touchdowns on a 7.5% touchdown rate is incredible. And top 20 in yards after the catch. I think he's pretty good at football. I think he's pretty good. But he's not able to consistently command targets, even on a team that signed him to a relatively lucrative contract. The alpha on that team is Jacoby Myers. That's the guy to target in fantasy football. In fact, if you had Kendrick Bourne, you should go reach out to the Jacoby Myers dynasty manager in your league and see if maybe you can offer Kendrick Bourne plus for Jacoby Myers. Then you can get Mac Jones number one for the next five years. Yeah, I mean, none of these guys are going to cost you anything. First off, I don't own Kendrick Bourne in any leagues. If you're playing in a league where you can sell Kendrick Bourne, and act, if you've got a second for Kendrick Bourne, I would be shocked. But that was part of the thing that made it so crazy. This guy's averaging 5.7 yards after the catch per target. That is like in another universe. That's beyond, I would think it was top three. Most of these yards after the catch, these impressive yards after the catch seasons, they're Kendrick Bournes. They're not Debo Samuels. High yards after the catch are indicative of an ability. I'm not saying it's sticky as in you can guarantee it every year. But again, if if it was so easy, Devonta Smith would average more than two yards after the catch. I fall forward two yards. you have any thoughts on uh, Braxton Berrios? Absolutely not. <laughs> why, why would anybody have any thoughts on Braxton Berrios? Wasn't this a conversation like five years ago? I don't have anything to contribute on Berrios. I mean he's probably cheap just about everywhere. I, I don't personally have him on any rosters. He could be decent in 2022. He could be a value because Jamison Crowder is gone. This is going to be a team that's going to need to throw to be competitive. He was good at the end of the season. He came on strong and he's been better every year. He's been in the league. Players like Berrios, these undrafted players, especially slot receivers, we see this time and time and time again. They finally earn a full-time role in their mid-20s, and then they have that season where they command 100 targets. It's absolutely in his range of outcomes next year to be a relatively high-volume slot receiver. We saw that with Hunter Renfro this year. He could be next year's Hunter Renfro. Berrios, he, uh, he is a free agent, right, currently? He is a free agent, but the reason why I'm bringing him up is because he was on the Pardon My Take podcast. And he mentioned that he's in contract extension conversations right now with the Jets, that they like him and he wants to stay with the Jets and sign an extension. If he signs an extension, then he could have at least like a Kendrick Bourne level season next year. And he ends up being an asset, especially in these deeper dynasty teams where you're starting three, four, five wide receivers. Braxton Berrios is attractive depth for dynasty I don't think he's going anywhere, especially having a two-touchdown game at the end of the year. Has these multiple games where he's commanding double-digit targets. And we know that Corey Davis is not a target hog. We, we know that Elijah Moore can play outside as well. So I could see this team being pass first next year. And we know that Zach Wilson wants to keep the ball in the middle of the field inside the hashes. That's the type of quarter. He's a big 12 mountain whack type quarterback with a Derek Carr ceiling. And he's going to keep the ball between the hashes where Braxton Berrios loves to operate. 
I think it's interesting. I, I think Braxton Barrios is quietly interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because Elijah Moore didn't play as much slot as you would have expected him to. Um, and Barrios is heavily in the slot. Uh, nope. I mean, again, he's basically free, so it wouldn't be worth trying to grab a lottery ticket in the hopes that you catch fire and find a guy that's you know sees a hundred and. 15 targets next year or something like that. I mean, it's certainly worth an ad. I, I do like that. I get my running backs at the beginning of drafts and at the end of drafts. So I'm going to load up on a Javante Williams. I'm going to draft a Travis Etienne. J.K. Dobbins, great example, right? Guys coming off injury that are still young and we know they're super backs. And then wait. And then you can wait and, and just stockpile wide receivers until the very end of your draft where you can draft young players that are behind studs like the next Khalil Herbert uh, Chris Evans running backs like that those are the guys that I, I love to to add at the end of drafts and then get all those other positions in the middle of a draft that's how I, I typically like to do it and I'm in a startup right now where I did start Javante Williams and J.K. Dobbins and then I just went right to pounding wide receiver Deontay Johnson Chris Godwin Michael Thomas, Gabriel Davis after that. So interesting dilemma that I had. I was deciding between Kittle and Murray in round five of a single quarterback startup. And then the guy that took Kittle, he took Jalen Hurts in the same round that I took Goddard. What would you rather have? Murray and Goddard or Kittle and Hurts? Boy, it hurts to listen to your voice. Um... Uh, the the preference, yeah, you are dying. The preference for me in this case is probably Murray and Goddard. I feel like it's more of a guarantee, right? Like Jalen Hurts was impressed by what I saw. We have some question marks potentially long-term there. Not necessarily because of him, but because nobody trusts the Eagles. George Kittle's getting a little older, 28, although he had a great year. I would prefer the upside of Murray and the upside of Goddard, who played well this year as well. Let's take us home, buddy. Cam Akers or Antonio Gibson? These guys are really close for me. They're both young. They were both impressive. I, and look, kudos to you. You were one of the few people saying he could come back from this unfortunate injury, the Achilles tendon tear. You were right. He came back out. And a lot of people tweeted it. He looked really, really good. He almost looked better than pre-injury, believe it or not. And for those of us that were fans of Cam Akers coming into the league in his rookie season, you know, we thought from week 12 to week 14, we really started to see the emergence of the true player Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle are both set to be free agents at the end of 2022. And there are rumors that they might extend Sony Michelle, but that's not, that's nothing to worry about if you're the Cam Akers owner. In fact, it's probably for the best because he's not on his level and it really shields anybody else from coming into that offense. And we could see Daryl Henderson walk. But let's talk about Antonio Gibson. I, I do. This is Antonio Gibson's exciting. So, we, we saw the volume that we asked for. This is what people wanted. So 258 carries, number six in the league. But many of us were holding out for what Ron Rivera hinted at is this Christian McCaffrey role in this offense. And at the end of the season, I think people were disappointed with the 52 targets that he had on the year because I think they also failed to see a trend. Gibson... Over his final six games in 2021, saw his target share rise to 4.8 per game over a 17-game season. That's 82 on the year. And even behind a bad offensive line, he looked really good. Five top seven rushing performances in the final half of the year. For me, it's really close. I would nudge it to Antonio Gibson just barely. That receiving upside is alluring. 
top-selling NBA jerseys. You know the top four are LeBron, Curry, Giannis, and Durant. Who do you think number five is? Luka. Ah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Harden's not even in the top 15. Really? Mm Mm-mm. Lillard's number 10. You're forgetting about Clay and Anthony Davis are in there just because. Clay hasn't even played. He's played like two games. Yeah, just because. He deserves to be in there, though. Clay's amazing. People love J.A. Morant. Wow. Morant's amazing. So, dude, uh, little known fact for the non-basketball listeners, uh, the Atlanta Hawks and the Dallas Mavericks actually drafted the inverse of Luka and Trey Young, and then they ended up trading each other on draft day once they had already acquired those players. And I think uh, Atlanta got, I forgot who they got, an additional guy, but Dallas ended up with Luka, and Atlanta ended up with Trey Young, which is amazing because they're both great, and typically that would blow up in someone's face. Yeah, the fact that it didn't blow up in anyone's face is kind of amazing. The uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, the year that Steph Curry entered the league, I think Steph Curry was the ninth pick overall as a point guard. The Timberwolves took two point guards before Steph Curry was drafted, and both of those guys ended up being super average. Nobody drafts two point guards in the top 10 anyways. They took two and missed Curry. I mean, that is like, it took Johnny Flynn and Ricky Rubio. Big whiff, big whiff. It was unconventional basketball. It really was. I mean, literally kids now, like he cha- he changed the game forever. It's until it, in, you know, inevitably goes another direction and go back to the basket like the 90s again. The Bears are so boring. They're so boring. I mean, they probably won't remain boring forever, but I've never seen a superstar level receiver killed quite this way. Allen Robinson? Yeah. I mean, he, it was like he was hurt all year. They were saying, oh, he's bitter about getting franchised, so he didn't try. Well, that's a great idea because when you're not franchised... Yeah, heading into free agency? What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, right. Eh, it doesn't seem likely. It just doesn't. The bottom line is, it didn't matter. It was a terrible draft pick in, in seasonal leagues and best ball anyway because even Darnell Mooney, who had awesome numbers, peripheral numbers, couldn't produce fantasy points because he wasn't running enough routes because they're not passing. Right? And, and it's it's Andy Dalton and it's Justin Fields. And, and if it's Justin Fields, that's not like a good thing. Well, it wasn't going to be as a rookie. It wasn't going to be as a rookie, especially with Mike Evans going 10 spots later. Similar players, but one guy had all this target competition, right? It's like, what do you, what would you rather have, the target competition? You just assume that there's going to be injuries, assume there's going to be some turnover in the passing game. And don't worry about it's this too many miles to feed thing again. Like, you just want to be in the Tom Brady offense, period. You don't want to be in the goddamn Dalton Fields offense. Like, it's it doesn't have to be hard. It just doesn't have to be hard at all. You want to be in the Stafford offense. You want to be in the Brady offense. You want, I mean, these are the guys you wanted. I love DJ Moore, but he was a fucking stay away in best ball, bro. Sam Darnold? What do you, what? Well, and Sam Darnold is one of the slowest paced quarterbacks, and they were slow paced. Do you think that magically... A slow-paced offense pulls in an even slower-paced quarterback from another team, and they're suddenly going to be fast-paced? Well, some trends never change, and that's part of the problem. Of course, in Dynasty, this is all an entirely different conversation. I think Mooney is a much better Dynasty asset than he is like best ball this year. I mean, he's probably about the same. No, I I would rather have Mooney longer term. I like him. I like the youth. I like the fact that this offense could eventually ascend. 
But we only, but for for twenty twenty two, you know, he's probably not going to be that great. I mean, if he's not great in twenty twenty two, why is he going to be any better in twenty twenty three? What's going to change? Second year with your quarterback, you're hoping for incremental improvements in the offense, or they bring in a new quarterback, or he goes somewhere in free agency in a second contract. I don't think they're bringing in a new quarterback anytime soon. 140 targets. He already saw an immense amount of targets. And part of that is because there was nobody, whatever the bullshit reason is that Allen Robinson wasn't seeing targets, 140 targets is unlikely to repeat itself next year. Highly unlikely to repeat itself, especially if this is a team that acquires Chark through free agency or Gallup through free agency. 140 is the ceiling for Mooney. I do not see this again. There's no way. There's no way. He was wide receiver 29. And he's a big play receiver. And, you know, that's part of the problem. Underutilized. Again, how did he how did he get by on this? Because there's nobody else being targeted in this offense. The next closest guy was 93 targets and it was a tight end. The next closest wide receiver had 66 targets. This will not happen again. Unrealized air yards, he was top 10 in the league. I know. Well, because he's a speed guy. But the thing is... His target accuracy was absolutely abysmal. That's well, of why. Of course, but listen... They threw the ball 542 times. They already threw the ball a lot comparative to the league. That was 23rd in the league. He had nobody, nobody around him to take any other targets away. This is 140 in 17 games, by the way. What I'm saying is these are really nice peripheral metrics. And you can draft a guy in Dynasty because he's good. Just because he's good at football. I like to do that. Especially if a guy's peripheral metrics, target share and air yard share, are better than his fantasy points per game. That's typically a way to get value in Dynasty. You just have to know that maybe this year there's going to be, it's going to be a growth year. It's a, it's a DJ Moore thing. It's like you like these guys in Dynasty because they have high floors. They're going to produce, but they're not going to give you elite numbers until they get on an offense that actually is high volume with not only all these routes run, but also the red zone opportunities and the touchdowns and the touchdown accuracy from your quarterbacks. DJ Moore, man, I still I still really like him. I still think he should be way up there in the rankings. He should be. The peripheral metrics on him are dominant, just like the peripheral metrics are dominant on Deontay Johnson. What is one page when it's digital? A page used to be on paper one side of a paper. When we're talking digital, the fucking one page is not a thing. That's this is one side of a page. Real, that's based on font. What font size six? Wait, wait, this is font size thirteen and a half. Like, yeah, it's it's one page. If I zoom out, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We have ten topics. Top ten topics. Mooney slides into Deontay, who slides into DJ Moore, who slides into. Well, no, it's right there. Let's talk Bears wide receivers. Watch. I've already seen this game play out. We're live. The Sonic Truth is live. The Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. Nate List is back for 2022. Hey, there he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look at the studio. Kendrick Bourne back there. Look at Kendrick Bourne looking good. Kendrick Bourne uh, peacocking in the end zone. That's right. That's right. Kendrick Bourne, standout wide receiver, New England Patriots. He's pretty. He's a pretty cool guy. As a Patriots fan, that was a great signing. Uh, absolutely. Incredible value. Made Nelson Aguilar irrelevant. Nelson Aga who? Exactly. Bad signing. Nelson Aga who, Nate? Yeah, I know. Nelson, I uh, shoot. <laughs> it was 50-50 on tight end free agents and wide receiver free agents. One of each worked out. 
Uh, well, you could argue that if you like your tight ends to block, that uh, John New Smith also That's worked right. out. Right, if you play in those points per block, great league. blocking right. job yeah. by, uh, by by John <laughs> this year. Didn't really help your fantasy team though. He was the most underutilized for fantasy football tight end in the NFL, unfortunately. Shocking, shocking with his capabilities. So shocking. Well, that's the thing. It's like, well, uh, Drew Sample had a higher blocking rate. Yeah, but Drew Sample's not anyone that's going to help you in the passing game. You have a guy that can help you in the passing game who's awesome after the catch, blocking the whole time. Sarge, that's a serious misallocation of resources. It's it's nice to have like a Ferrari in the garage that you can take out on a sunny Saturday, but you can leave it in the garage all year long otherwise. One of the best yak tight ends in the league was relegated to blocking was drew sampled it's it's bad there's no doubt about it but that's that that's that 50 50 hunter henry stands out kendrick Bourne stands out nelson aguilar hunter henry you know uh dislocates a shoulder sprains a toe next year john o. smith's not dead yet dude we've got a few people watching i see cody's in the comments of course he is we'll, we'll take a question from uh the audience here Cody Carpentier is asking, before we get going with the real show, this is the pre-show. Cody's asking, where do you have Clyde Edwards-Alaire vis-a-vis Michael Carter in your rankings? I would like uh, to, uh, Cody, please go to my Twitter profile and click my bio for your answer. It's been in there subtly for over a week now, and that, that'll answer your question. Just, it's just, I'm not, I'm not even going to answer. Just go, go to Twitter. You can find your answer. Big, big week for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He's been practicing. So. That's good. Good. Always good to have him on the practice field. Listen, if he plays well, it's going to really help him. It's going to be great. If he has a big game, he might surpass Michael Carter in the dynasty rankings. Oh, see, he's been bumped behind Michael Carter already. Hasn't he? I don't know. Has he? I, they're very similar players, dude. I, that's what I keep being told. Aren't they? Are they? If Michael Carter was playing at LSU... Yes. Instead of they switched places. Yes. And Michael Carter was was there in lieu of Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He probably would have had a similar season to Clyde Edwards Hilaire and been drafted where Clyde Edwards Hilaire was. But instead he was sharing a backfield with Javante Williams at UNC and he still got drafted in the fourth round. I fully disagree with this statement. A thousand percent disagree with the uh hypothetical what if we switched bodies statement. But I appreciate that we run the experiment. He had some very productive games in a very bad offense. He did. I there, I don't know what to say. Michael Carter looked pretty good. Look, I like how it's a random softball question. Oh, let's take a question from some random guy. It's Cody, and let's take a random question. I, I know it's going to be a Clyde Edwards question. It was a troll question. It is absolutely a troll question. It was a troll question, and I, it, 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 Cody and I, just so you know, this is important, important transparency. Cody and I did not plan this. Okay, he did not plan this. At, at no point in time is it ever on my agenda to talk about the player named Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on this show. I don't think it's productive. I don't think it's a good idea. Oh. I don't see the value in it. I don't see the value in it. It seems like every time I look in the chat, it's just CEH down the board. Yeah, that's that sort of thing's going to happen. Fucking trolls, man. They haunt you. I had a guy, so I, I posted that CeeDee Lamb video the other day, and I had a guy go, like, I'm going to take information from a guy who had Clyde Edwards over Jonathan Taylor eat a dick or something like that. And <laughs> Damn it. 
I don't want that. Don't do this to Nate. You realize how many calls Nate had on our hot take show, the best of hot take show? Easily, easily the best takes came from Nate Liss. They were get, go trade for Joe Mixon, <clears throat> right? And you remember the other one? Cooper Cup? It was Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is going to melt faces this year, and you got to go trade for Joe Mixon. How could anyone possibly beat that in terms of a top two takes for 2021? How could you beat that? Well, I mean, the only way to beat it is to just bring up CEH at every turn. People bring this shit up, and I'm like, do you realize how good the, Nate is at the at the art of evaluating players for Dynasty and podcasting about Dynasty? Do you guys have, you guys have no idea how good he is? First of all, he learned at the feet of the master. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, go on. I just love I love the alley oop to yourself off the glass. Keep going. And secondly, no one else has heard as many takes from you as I have on and off air. Okay? So and we went through a whole carousel of alternate hosts for an entire year. And what did I do? I came begging on my knees back to you, said please, Nate, please do the show. Please. I tried everybody. It didn't work, apparently. I mean, I'm back. You're The begging worked. So the people with the CEH troll tweets and comments need to shut the fuck up. You know, I apologize for your rosters, guys. I'm sorry. What do you want from me? What more do you want from me? Okay? I wake up with night terrors like twice a week over this. All right? The thing is, you did such a service in taking the devil's advocate approach to that debate. I really did. Because I still have random friends that are only barely <laughs> even paying attention to the NFL. Oh, fuck. That after a huge Jonathan Taylor game, they'll text me. They'll be like, Jonathan Taylor, you called it, bro. Genius. And I'm like, I didn't even know you were a football fan. We touched a lot of people with that debate. The best, the best is... For every Jonathan Taylor, like, attaboy you get when he has a good game, I get twice that amount of my mentions. I get clips of him running a 56-yard touchdown. I get him scoring touchdowns, breaking off, this and that. It's, uh, I might have to change my handle on Twitter, my my ad. I might have to disappear and start over again. The, the bottom line is, the bottom line is. Is there one? Were you too bullish on CEH? Sure. Am I too bullish on tons of players every year? Yeah. Did you hate Jonathan Taylor? Absolutely not. You fucking loved him. No. It's true that you were too high on on, on Clyde Edwards-Solaire, which isn't even a big deal. Well. You know, people forget this. In high-stakes leagues, FFPC high-stakes leagues that are just seasonal leagues, not dynasty, just seasonal high-stakes tournament for the 2020 season, I saw multiple drafts where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, this is 2020, I'm not even kidding you, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went 101 over Christian McCaffrey. There, the hype was real. It was so real. It was so palpable. And it's hard to even remember. Now that we're a year and a half removed, it's hard to remember how visceral the love for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was. And the film grinders just loved it. It was just crazy. It was crazy. Like, I remember... Feeling a little bit nervous having Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ranked at five. I remember being like, geez, man, no, many, no one else has him at five. This is, this is kind of a hot take. I don't know if I should do this. This, see, this, feels, this feels risky. I don't know. I remember being kind of nervous. 
Because you just eventually such a huge number of people just saying the same thing in the echo chamber that sweat starts to run down your brow a little bit. That was absolutely nothing that anyone should be beating you up with in hindsight. And it's simply false that you, quote unquote, didn't like Jonathan Taylor. You loved him. That would be the one. I hope there's a takeaway. If there's a takeaway from this, if there's any, listen, if there's any takeaway, if there's anything I can say, it's that I did like Jonathan Taylor. You loved him. I was out in front on CEH heavily. I do appreciate that my constituents in the industry disappeared like Homer Simpson into the hedges. You weren't even the most bullish. No, I wasn't. What I'm telling you by explaining where I saw him go, even in single season leagues, you, you weren't even close to the most bullish on Clyde Edwards Slayer. You were almost at consensus. And the only reason we were debating is because I just happened to be particularly low on him and it worked out. But it could have easily not worked out. I was obviously nervous, not knowing what the hell would happen. It uh, it was the wrong call in hindsight years later. Uh, very clearly after the season that Jonathan Taylor put together, uh, he went lunar. The biggest factor is that for the people that took CEH over Jonathan Taylor, you're stuck with an asset that right now we don't even know what truly what his future holds, right? Thank God the people that listen to this podcast can't see Matt right now. You're going to have to go on video to, to see what he's doing in the background. You know why, I bet? I would love to know this number. I would give anything to know this number. The number of people that abandoned their dynasty team because they took Edward Solaire over Taylor, not because of you or just, just because it was a 50-50 split in the industry. So there were 50% of people taking him over Jonathan Taylor. The ADP was razor close. So you got a lot of people at the 101 taking Clyde edwards Solaire for lots of reasons. There's got to be hundreds of abandoned dynasty teams with people just having too much regret and not being able to continue, just being so demoralized. Listen, guys, if I can get up every day and put my pants on, two legs at the same time, then so can you. Nobody can possibly be hurting from the Clyde Edwards situation more than me. So if you abandon a roster, there, I, oh, I'm sure there were. Oh, it's sad. I am at, dude, I am sure. I, I think it's in the hundreds. I, I'm sure. I'm sure there are hundreds. There's a lot of people quitting leagues, by the way. Have you noticed this? There's lots of people quitting leagues nowadays, like literally abandoning dynasty leagues at a shocking rate. I've never seen this before. It's because the volume spiked the last few years. So there's just a lot more leagues out there. Got a lot of quitters is what we got. It's like a 10x the number of leagues from five years ago. You might feel like there's an excess of abandoned teams and abandoned leagues. We need to get the show off the ground here. We have to do that. We've, we touched on this, I think, might have been the, our, our original season. It could have been our debut season where we touched on this for almost like a half an episode. But why all else equal you should be in win now mode and we talked about one of those reasons is your league is not guaranteed to stick around so every league has a fragility rating and for that reason you should tilt toward win now we had that take like four years ago no it's it's true and i have a couple dynasty leagues especially industry leagues when you're playing with more like expert type leagues i i go for the throat way harder in those just because I think we're all thinking, I don't know if this league is going to be here tomorrow, you know? So that fantasy guy has a good point. People jumped in on an unsustainable amount of leagues after COVID because it was during the lockdown. It's right. True. 
because the lockdown happened when the NFL draft was going on and, you know, rookie drafts were happening. That was May 2020. Schools were closed, everything. No one was going to work. Nope. It's a good theory. I like the theory. Bring us in. Bring us in. Bring us in! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Jamar Chase is just God mode when the ball's in his hands. We've never seen CeeDee Lamb dominate the share of anything in that Dallas offense. He did rank top 10 in one metric. Drops. Listen, guys, if I can get up every day and put my pants on. He got vacuumed up by Dalton Schultz. Like I'm going to take information from a guy who had Clyde Edwards over Jonathan Taylor eat a dick or something like that. <laughs> oh, man. I might have, we might have to cut the show off. Are you gonna Are you gonna survive this show? Did that mute work? That mute button? Did that work? No, you've been coughing everywhere. We all heard it. Oh man, sorry, stream. <sighs> Stay strong, Matt Kelly. Yeah, I'm fighting a cold, buddy. I'm COVID negative though. You look COVID negative. You look good. Yeah, there's just straight up colds. I have just a straight up old fashioned colds. A throwback. That's probably a low point in our streaming history, right there. Murray and Goddard. Or Kittle and Hurts. Boy, it hurts to listen to your voice. I gotta go cough my ass off for the next two hours. I did a whole, like, uh, Alan Robinson, what's wrong with him video. I pushed my vo my throat and my voice way too far. Gotta take some time off, man. Gotta take it easy. I don't take it easy. I don't take any time off. Got a lot of quitters is what we got. Fucking trolls, man. They haunt you. The begging works. CeeDee Lamb hasn't sniffed that yet. You know what he's number 22 in? Unrealized fantasy points. Nothing that CeeDee Lamb has done thus far, other than catching a ball one-handed in the back of the end zone in training camp, could be viewed as special. Listen, well, that's he's pre-Apex. You are privy to some of the greatest minds in Dynasty that are as forward-thinking as have ever existed in this space. It, uh, it was the wrong call. Some of the greatest minds in Dynasty. 2022 starting off right. Clyde Edwards over Jonathan Taylor eat a dick 